By listening to this podcast, I think it's safe to assume that you want something. Now, let's say that you're looking for value in exchange for your time. That puts things in perspective for me because, as we all know, time is a non-renewable resource. And that's how I approach every episode. I want to make it worth the listener's time. Now, that's preamble, but I thought it's some good insight for those who listen regularly. And if this is your first time, welcome. I obsess over bringing accomplished, wise, insightful conversations your way because the world needs exceptional leadership, and we can't do this thing alone. So when was the last time you were questioned and it just rubbed you the wrong way? The kind of situation where the person was only listening long enough to toss another accusatory, close-ended question at you. Now, how did your mindset change toward that person and the information that you shared? For me, I tend to pull back and sometimes get defensive. Now, on the other end, think about a time when your guard came down with someone and you shared too much information, or at least it felt that way. What was it that the person did to make you like them so much, even if you were a bit embarrassed thinking back about how much detail you offered? There's just something about that other person that made you feel okay in sharing that information. Welcome to the Impact of Leadership podcast, where we believe that no one drifts into excellence. I'm your host, Steve Shear, and today's episode is focusing on the interview versus the interrogation. Chad Stillman is my guest today and a good friend of mine. With over 17 years in law enforcement, he has participated in dozens of interviews and interrogations. Chad retired after a critical incident, but as I used to tell people, if something bad is happening at your house, he's the cop that you want to show up. He's the kind of guy who can make you laugh and cry in the same conversation. You're gonna get practical application and a few laughs from this one. I'm grateful to call him a friend and so excited to share this content. So here it is, my conversation with Chad Stillman. I am a entrepreneur, uh, vice president of Guardian Angel Device, and um, I'm also a a local realtor uh, in Southeast Wisconsin, but uh, above all that, I'm a husband and a father. I've been married to my wife, Melissa, for about 17 years, and I'm a dad to two teenage daughters. So uh, my previous law enforcement experience suits me well, raising teenage daughters, mm-hmm. um, especially with today's topic, interviewing and interrogations. It's, yeah. uh, it's crucial in my house these days to be uh, at my best with interviews and interrogations. And get an extremely bright light <laughs> yeah. and make sure yeah. it's shined right in their eyes. For sure. Because that's how know, it works, I think. It does. And, you know... Uh, Cleaning my guns on the regular if people come and go out of the house. You yeah. know, just let them know I'm not playing. Just let them know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, professionally, um, I did 17 years of law enforcement. I uh, got hired at a ripe young age of 22 years old, right out of college. Um, just a family history of police work, and I knew it was something I always wanted to go into, but I always just felt I didn't want to pigeonhole myself in just criminal justice. So actually... Um, at the really good advice of a, a former chief who'd passed away and was the, the leader, I mean, the pioneer of community-oriented policing, um, Dick Polzine. He, he told me at a young age, go get your business degree uh, and don't get criminal justice degree. And, and I did exactly that. So I have a bachelor's degree in business, but chose to go into police work. And uh, I don't regret any of it. I loved it. Had a great, a great run. Um, so what, what don't people understand about policing? I'll just say in 2002, when I was hired, it was way different. 
Okay. Um, I think the profession as a whole was, was respected. I think the profession as a whole was safe as far as uh, you're going to have good benefits, you're going to have a good pension, you're going to make decent money. And uh, that, unfortunately, um, it has changed a lot over the years. And um, so what don't they understand? Um, I'll equate it to, to, to this, I guess. When, when you're a soldier and you're away at war, that's all you have to do. Mm-hmm. That's what you do. You, you're, you're, at, you're in war. You go out, you do your mission, you come back, and you sleep, you regroup, and you go out and do it again. But you stay in that um, environment. In police work, you go out and you see some dirty things and you do things that people can't even imagine. Um, You run toward the sound of gunfire when people are running the other way. You're applying pressure to people bleeding out, telling them it's going to be okay when you know damn well it's not going to be that they're going to pretty much die in your arms. Mm -hmm. And then four hours later, I'm supposed to sit at my kitchen table and help my daughter with algebra homework. Uh, That's what people don't understand about police work. If anyone's listening to this and you doubt what the police are doing uh, across this country, they're not bad. 99% of them are, are fantastic and has uh, shown some grace um, because they are out there busting their tails to keep your community safe. That is an example of why I love doing this because I've known you for a long time and we've had some good deep conversations, but asking questions in these interview settings, I don't know where it's going to go and I just learned a ton. Yeah. Um, so thank you for that. I want to dive in a little bit to something about the SWAT team. So what, what was something that, you know, surprised you about um, being on the SWAT team? What, uh, you know, surprising lessons with joining the SWAT team? Like, like talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Um, so I, I joined the SWAT team. Uh, first off, it's a, it's a really strenuous tryout. The year I tried out, I was 25 years old. You know, I was a newer cop. It was a strenuous tryout. It's, it's physical agility. Um, it's, it's firearms training, plus it's a, it's a team oral panel interview where the team gets to take shots at you, basically, and, oh. and interview you, right? And cops are already kind of alpha males, but SWAT are like alpha of alpha males, yeah. so it's an intimidating environment. Um, what I learned, though, because I was 25, I mean, I thought, man, I thought I was it. Best shape of my life. Go in, you know, in the trial, you bust out 35 pull-ups, however many push-ups, you shoot like you're an Olympian. I mean, have the best tryout ever. So you come in pretty arrogant thinking, man, I'm the best man for this job. You kind of size yourself up against other team members who may be older, right? Mm -hmm. I'm 41 now. And at at that time, you know, we had a lot of guys on the team that were in their mid-30s to Mm mid-40s. So I came in as a young guy thinking, oh, I got this. I'm going to be running point. I'm going to be the man. I was humbled really quick. Because what I learned is skill set never supersedes experience. And, oh, and I've taken that into, into my now you know, civilian life of uh, don't ever underestimate experience. Because when, the, when it mattered, these guys on my team were just phenomenal. And watching these guys operate as a team was great. Uh, you can operate as an individual and get so far on your skill set, but if you can't operate as a member of a team and a trusted member of that team um, and be looked at as a leader or look to a leader in that team to kind of help your your growth, you're going to grow stagnant. So, so yeah, I, I just really learned that early, early on on SWAT is uh, attach myself to other leaders on that team that are where I want to be mm-hmm. and um, don't underestimate their age because those guys could still operate really well 
and it, it, it served me it served me well. But that was eye opening to me. Is That's I, good. I came in with the skill set like, oh, I got this. Yeah, I didn't. I was a I was a young idiot. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> and now we we are the old yeah, ancient no. guys that. No, I'm would... the old bald man. <laughs> so this conversation was sparked uh, from a post that I did on LinkedIn about the difference between interviews and interrogations. And uh, I'm not an expert in interrogations, but but you are. Um, I've done a bunch of interviews, not just in the podcast, but throughout when I was a recruiter for several years and that kind of thing. So I'd love to jump into the differences between interviews and interrogations, lessons you've learned, uh, both as an officer, but then also as a civilian and in professional life um, in business. So take this wherever you would like um, and, and help us walk through maybe the framework or what the differences are between interrogations and interviews. So just to break down the two, interviews are, are nothing more than information gathering of a, of a certain scenario, if you will, certain situation. So uh, from the police world, the interview was crime occurs, you go out and you start talking to people because you truly don't know what happened, right? And each interview, if you will, or each person you talk to, that's an individual interview and you're just gleaning as much information as you can from them to try to learn more about the situation. That's all interviewing is. And it's it's the same for civilian world. If you're interviewing potential clients, team members, you're hiring, you're firing, whatever mm-hmm. you're doing, it's it's trying to, to learn as much about a certain situation by simply asking questions. The interrogation comes in where it's maybe a little bit more accusatory in nature, but you already know a large majority, if not all the facts, but you're trying to basically get the person to tell you, right? They may be holding something back, or maybe you need to hear it from their mouth to confirm certain things. So interrogation is, is, is more, hey, I got the facts. I know what they are. Here's your chance to tell me what they are. And that's really the only difference. I mean, a lot of people will think, oh, interrogation is, is more aggressive. And in some Cases, absolutely it is. You know, uh, I would imagine special forces type interrogations <laughs> are going to look a little bit different than an interrogation, you know, yeah. in, in in the confines of a, a police interview room. Yeah. But that's really the, the only difference. I know there's a lot of confusion between the two, but think interview, I need to know the facts. Yep. Uh, interrogation, I know the facts, but I need you to tell them to me. So then motive, um, I know we've talked about this before, but the motive is a driving factor in this thing. Like what your motive is. Because they both contain questions, interview and interrogation, but the motive is different. Hundred percent, okay. yeah. So uh, the the motive on the on the interrogation is, I'm close. I need to solve this thing. I need to get to the end. Mm-hmm. And the motive in the interviews is like, hey, I'm just getting started. I need to learn more. Yep. So I read an article uh, from 2013 about a triple homicide, uh, cold case that you s- helped solve. Yeah. Uh, how do the principles that you were just laying out, that you just talked about, apply in solving that case when you when you look back on that? So in that case, um, it was a, a seven-year-old, roughly seven-year-old homicide when I was assigned. It was it was a triple homicide, and I was a newer newer investigator who was uh, the, the chief at the time. Art Hall just trusted me a lot to take a look at it, and and it was. One, it was a lot of paperwork. I'm talking hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages of just reading through previous interviews when the case, you know, originally happened, which I oddly found satisfying. I loved it. I ate it up and, and I enjoyed that. Along the way, fortunate enough to come across a couple of things that really pointed me in the right direction. Um, 
different people I needed to talk to. But all in all, that case was not solved on interrogations. That that case was solved on a boatload of really good interviews okay. that helped me see the um, the incident as it was. But more so, it, it rested on the shoulders of the men and women that had the guts to come in and get on the stand and testify against these murderers. Okay. Um, that's what it all came down to. I was a small cog in the wheel. I kind of, I was the quarterback, but the wide receivers made the made the winning mm-hmm. play, right? Mm-hmm. They, they're they the ones that, that executed. They're the ones, I shouldn't even say I was a quarterback. I might've been like the offensive coordinator. Okay. And they were out there <laughs> and they made the plays. Yeah. Um, to, to win the game. Um, but that case, 100%, uh, was solved by, I would say, quality interviews of, of the right people that needed to be talked to mm-hmm. to get the, the picture of what happened and then going to those people and saying, hey, if if we're going to put these these guys away, we, we need you to testify to what you just told me. And they did, and it, and it went well, and uh, justice was served, and, and some sense of um, justice was felt by the, by the victims and the victims' families. Talk about perspective a a little bit like what are you seeing now on the other side of being an officer perspective wise uh and and then and then tie it back to to whether it's that triple homicide or something else where you're interviewing people in order to gain perspective so talk about that term perspective and how you see it and and what how that plays in this whole concept here right perspective is huge um i would say first and foremost like in my current situation, we'll say as a, as a realtor, yeah. um, someone may call me losing their mind because maybe we're going to have to get an extension or I'm going to have to put an amendment in because financing didn't come through or something that I understand uh, it's a quote unquote big deal, but it's not an emergency. And my, my previous job taught me what a true emergency was. You know, I, also, I often say like, did you die or are you going to die? What's your imminent threat? If causing me to write, uh, you know, an amendment to an offer to purchase, and we're pushing back closing 15 days, isn't going to kill somebody. Well, then just calm down. And, and <laughs> yeah. what I've seen is like people that haven't yeah. had that perspective of mm-hmm. true life-changing emergencies, they freak the f out. Can I say f out? You can. All right. We don't have to change anything yeah, about the podcast because yeah, yeah. you edited yourself. Yeah, so. they freak the heck out for no reason. Yeah. Um, but their lack of perspective of mm-hmm. of maybe stressful triggers in their lives maybe are less than what I've been through. Mm -hmm. Um, So they tend to freak out a little bit more. But perspective is huge. Uh, A way I used it in in, in police work was it was 2015, roughly. um, And it was right after like seven officers had been shot in Dallas, Texas. I think five of them were killed. And I got to work that next day. At this time in my career, I was I was a investigator with the FBI gang task force and I got to work and um, I started getting alerts from other like FBI offices and other people around the country saying, Hey, there's, there's a person in Racine, Wisconsin right now making crazy threats against white police officers. And um, so I got on it, uh, did some work up and, and we we're able to pin this guy to West Racine and he was making some, some pretty, crazy threats saying white officers should kiss their families goodbye and that black men across America need to arm up and, and start killing white police officers. So in light of what had just happened, you know, seven officers shot and killed, we took that very serious. We got a team together and uh, we set up a, an operation to catch this guy. 
Um, it went smoothly. He didn't resist. He didn't fight. He did everything he was told to do. Um, and he went to jail with not even a scratch on him because he completely complied with what we were telling him to do. And in the interview room, um, my heart was really soft toward the guy. And, and and I just looked him in the eyes and straight up told him, look, man, the world right now wants me to hate you. And it wants you to hate me. I'm like, let's have a different narrative here. I wanted to know his perspective as a black guy in America and why he was so angry against white cops. And he shared with me why he was. But then me saying, look, man, I want to hear your perspective, opened his eyes and softened his heart to say, well, tell me your perspective from a white cop. Mm-hmm. And uh, right there, man, like the, the, the walls came down and I was able to talk to this guy just like a normal friend. Well, I'll fast forward. Um, became friends with this guy. His name's Byron. We still talk probably I mean, a couple times a year. Uh, he attended a Bible study with me for a while after he uh, got out of jail. And uh, he just like published a book. So, oh, he did? Yeah, yeah. And he's he's doing well. Uh, he's, a, he's a really good guy. But that was a really clear-cut case that I can remember from my police yep. um, world about perspective. Because I could have easily came in and been like, you piece of garbage, you want to mm-hmm. kill white cops? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, but my heart was soft. And that wasn't of me. That was, you know, I'll just straight up say it. that was my faith you mm-hmm. know that that allows me to do that I wasn't always like that early in my career I was kind of a a nominal Christian if even a Christian uh, I just didn't you know I'd go to church on Sundays but I had no relationship with Jesus and I was just a, I was a chump mm-hmm. I, I didn't care about people's backgrounds I didn't care about their perspective if you will mm-hmm. I, if you were breaking the laws and I put you in jail because that was my job and I hope you go to prison and that was where I left it 2010, actually June 15, 2010, my heart was changed forever. And that was, that was when I accepted Christ in my life. And um, it completely changed the way I did everything. And I'm not telling you today, dude, that I'm some perfect guy. It's a daily battle still to wake up and to, to put others first, right? That, that true love, that true humility, which is counting others more significant than yourself, and when you do that in interviews and in interrogations, in the police world, when you do that as a leader, when you do that in as a dad, as a husband, and you can truly help people feel loved, heard, and respected. And if you can do those three things, man, life just seems to go a little bit smoother. <laughs> is that is that the so? I might be jumping ahead a little bit, but is that what you attribute your um, success in connecting with people to? Hundred, hundred percent. Like um, so, what, what? Yeah, talk, talk about that a little bit. So, yeah. and I, like I said, I don't care if it's a interview in police in police work, but when I when I was able to do those three things, Steve, when I could help people feel loved, respected, and heard, no particular order, but just in a conversation, those three things, mm-hmm. it it just I can't put it into words. It just resulted in favorable outcomes. Yeah, it just went smoother, man, because. People are created, we're all created by the same being. I would interview a person that just did a heinous crime. I'm talking like stab someone 30 times. The guy's a piece of garbage. But if I could go in there and for the first time in their life, maybe help them feel loved, heard, and respected, 
the outcome was good typically for me because they usually would trust me enough to confess to the crime, which enabled us just to move on and, and, and let justice run its course. But it's the same now as an entrepreneur, you know, as, as mm-hmm. with, with, with guardian angel. Um, it's the same now as a dad. It's the same now as a husband. It's the same now as a realtor. Like the equation is simple people. Like you can read all the self-help books you want. You can read all the flipping books on leadership, leadership, probably that, that word is probably a billion dollar industry because everybody wants to know how to be a good leader. You want to be a good leader? Freaking die to yourself. That that means stop thinking of yourself all the time. Put others first. Help people feel loved. Help people feel heard and respect people in the right context. And you'll be amazed at what happens. It's not that difficult. So good. And we probably should end the interview there, but I'm not going to. Because <laughs> that kind of was a mic drop. Yeah, it felt like I was preaching. I Dude. Was like, <laughs> well, I had my hands, people can't see on the outside, but I had my hands in the air and I got a tear rolling down my face. But it's because it's drying. I got a sweat ring. <laughs> it's drying here. Yeah, yeah. Um, that is also why I love being around you, Chad, because you bring it uh, with practical application, uh, vulnerability, and then that, that flavor that we all love is, is the humility and approachability. And so this next one is, this next question is, is uh, kind of straddles that line. So I know that I'm not the only one wondering this. Um, so how can you tell if someone's lying? You know, I'm asking for a friend. Their lips are moving. <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about that for a minute. Okay. I want to, uh, sorry, uh, pretty much everybody lies. Um, I went to a lot of different classes on interview interrogation, deception, you know, the, the, City Racine spent quite a bit of money on me to train me to be a detective, right? There are certain cues that people do, uh, repeat a question with a question. So Steve asked me a question. Yeah. Uh, so Chad, how was your day yesterday? You want to know how my day was yesterday? Yeah. Like that's yeah. what, like that's usually like, it's like. Yeah, I just asked you that. Why yeah, what's I just confusing asked you that. <laughs> so when I do that, yeah. um, that's usually an indicator, at least in the interview room, that people were. Like something's going on. Just. Some deception, right? Yeah. Some degree of deception okay. was present, yeah. I would say. Uh, another is um, dancing eyes up okay. and to the left is usually a pretty good indicator, which is like, you ask somebody a question, they look up and to the left. That's not always 100%, but usually they're they're creating, right? Right? They're, they're starting to make this visual lie up in their mind, which is why they're looking up and to the left and not looking you in the mm-hmm. eyes while they're creating the lie. So... It's a, it's the totality of the circumstances. So if you have, if you're a leader, if you're HR, whatever, you're asking someone questions, they're, they're asking you that same question back. Their eyes are dancing all over the room. They're super antsy. I can't say hundred percent sure they're lying, but there's some degree of deception likely present. There might be fire, but there's definitely smoke. There's smoke. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. So there's not, there's no like smoking gun of, ha ha, you're hundred percent lying. Cause some people are just anxious by nature and any any human being when they're put in the hot seat and ask questions you know are going to get a little yeah. antsy so yeah. it's it's what to look for and uh kind of putting it all together and even when you know they're lying typically uh this goes back to helping people feel loved heard and respected mm-hmm. as soon as you are like you're lying and come at them hard be careful there because it's really hard to get them back what i'll say for for maybe some advice for interview and interrogation. You can always ramp it up, but once you start off high, it's really hard to bring it back mm-hmm. down. Mm-hmm. So if you come in calm, ask your questions, 
uh, you can always ramp it up to jerk mode. But if you come in like just a jerk right away, mm-hmm. accusatory, good luck reeling that back. It's, yeah. it's, you know, once that's once you've gone there, you you don't get that back. So break down what happened in that instance that with real estate, the extension, the perspective thing, because uh, I think it helps to tie together some of the what did you do? Yeah, because it's not uh, it's not life or death, right? But if I were you, I'd want to. <laughs> scream at somebody and be like, are you kidding me? They right. That upset. Right. So, so break that down for people. Right. So like, that? like I'm not going to say I wasn't frustrated because mm-hmm. I was, um, in this particular instance, it was, it was, uh, the lender and my client, some, some huge lack of communication there. Probably something that as a, as an agent, I really shouldn't even have been a part of that conversation, but we're getting close to certain deadlines. So I needed to be, um, once I had that information, I, I could have a, went interrogation mode and just basically accused both of them as not doing what they should have done and been Which would have been fact, right? For sure it would have been. Okay. Like, look, yeah. you guys dropped the ball and now we may lose this deal. But it was a lot better for everybody to put them in different rooms, if you will, different interview rooms, which is not really happening, just using that as an illustration. Sure. And a separate phone call to each one as an interview. Just ask questions. Okay, what what happened when did you do this? Okay, now I'm going to talk to the lender. What really happened? Okay, now I'm going to have that information. Now I can go to my seller and say, hey, this is what happened. And ask for a little bit of grace on their end. They weren't happy, which is weird. I've been an agent for since March. It's June, so four months. I'm helping a 30-year agent kind of walk through something. Mm-hmm. But it's because of my perspective of what I think a true emergency is, you know, yeah bullet hole in the head mm-hmm. as opposed to, hey, let's just get an extension on this deal. We're just going to push it off another 30 days and we'll close and we'll all be happy and we'll all get our checks mm-hmm. at the end of the day. So that's how that worked out, yeah. right? In, in the in the real world is I could have I could have flipped the heck out mm-hmm. and, and went interrogation mode, total accusatory on everybody because I had the right to because there's the ball was dropped, right? Or Help everybody that you talk to in your interview feel heard, respected, and loved. Let everybody take a deep breath and calm down. And now let's come up with a logical solution mm-hmm. to how we can fix this issue, mm-hmm. which in this case was we're just going to do an extension. What's um? What are some things that you do to remain calm? Like, what, what do you have a mental checklist uh, process that you go through? That or, uh, is it your nature? Is it because you've Literally and figuratively, been around enough bullets flying. Like what? What? What is so it? So it's not my nature. Okay. I'm, uh, I'm, a, I'm extremely reactive by nature, like to a fault. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes that's good, you know, because I think it can save your life. Mm-hmm. In my previous yeah job, yeah. but not good in the kitchen table. Yeah, kitchen not good table. when I'm reacting to you know a teenage girl lipping off or giving tone because mm-hmm. then I want to do the same thing back to her. So I, I can be very reactive. So my checklist is like, uh, don't be a jerk, Chad. Like, that's what I have to tell myself. And that's my mental checklist as well as, um, now this is super, sounds super like I'm contradicting myself because I just said that, but prayer. Yeah. Like, dude, calm down. Take a deep breath. You know, praying in my mind about, Man, keep me calm through this mm-hmm. and help me to do this in a way that would that would ultimately glorify God and, mm-hmm. and not Chad. Because when Chad gets involved, it it can get kind of ugly. Because I can I can be I can be quick. That's helpful, uh, not just 
to empathize with your story, but because there are going to be people that listen to this that think, well, I'm not built that way. So what you just did is help to remove that excuse for those of us that are like, well, that's just not how I am. That's not my personality. Right. Right. What you're saying is it doesn't, regardless of your personality, you can have people feel heard, loved, and respected. So I, I want to hear something specific about your leadership journey. And, um, we've spoken about this with microphones, not on and that kind of thing, but I think it could be good for us to unpack this a little bit of how you got to where you are. Cause it's not, an, it's not, um, an accident that you've done the things that you've done and, um, you've been in the situations that you've been in. So who or what has had the greatest impact on you as a leader? Watching, watching my dad's work ethic grow up. Um, I don't know that it had a huge impact on me as a leader, but I'm, I'm certain that it did. Cause he, the guy just worked his tail off, man. Like got laid off when he was, I mean, when I was a kid, and went back to college, got his degree, um, went back to work, got a great job. At, you know, did all this with at 40 years old with kids, you know, and, and oh, wow. just worked really hard. Um, but as a leader, there's 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 been so many people along the way that have that I've gleaned certain things from. Right. Like there may be certain bosses or, or people I worked for that I didn't like everything they did. Mm hmm. But I took a piece of something I liked with me. Mm-hmm. I like that. I I want to bring that with me. I want to be more like that. Um, that's too many to name. But the the biggest, you know, I've already mentioned it. But the biggest change for Chad Stillman was a relationship with Jesus. That's mm-hmm. that's to me is what changed changed everything. And I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want this to come off like. Oh, super Christian has it all together. I am telling you, like, if anyone tells you they're a super Christian, run for the hills. If your <laughs> yeah. pastor's preaching from a Sunday pulpit and he's telling you how great he is, run. Go find a new church. We are all broken. We are all lost. We are all trying to figure this out together. But, man, having uh, having a living every day knowing that there's a God that loves you and created you just helps me to do it in a different a different light. It gives me a purpose to live for. If I didn't have that, why would I even want to be here? That's good. Um, there's uh, one thing that, that I love that you hold on to one hand, this, this depth of need for a God beyond what we see. And also at the same time, you're holding on to uh, this self-deprecating humor and that kind of thing. So tell us a little bit about <laughs> antics when you were on the police force and you got nothing to lose, man. You're not, you're not yeah. a cop anymore. So what are some pranks uh, you remember so like um, lay it on us. So cop humor is just dark. And it's dark. <laughs> it's dark because if we don't laugh at it, laugh or cry maybe? Yeah, if you don't if you don't laugh, you're going to it's going to it's going to crush you. you so up. like, yeah. I guess I'll I'll give you two two stories. One it might it might bother people. It was my first like call up as a detective. And unfortunately, it was a suicide. And um I'm there uh new detective and there's this form you fill out. In a suicide, the guy's kind of the suspect and the victim, right? Okay. He happens to be laying in his bathtub where he shot himself. And I'm standing over him. Just gross, but after a while, I get used to it. And I'm filling out this form. And one of the older, more veteran, grizzled detectives comes up behind me, and he's just standing in the doorway. And he's like, what the blank, Stillman? Are you interviewing him? Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm like, what? Gosh, so dark humor. But yeah. if we don't, if we didn't do that, yeah. 
the job will destroy you. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you just have to be able to laugh it up mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. there's just laughter does so much for the soul, man. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Another thing that sticks out. I mean, Steve, there's so many fun things we did. Man. Well, I've got a couple I mean, in my head too. But. I mean, <laughs> so probably like one that I thought was hilarious that maybe the brass at the department didn't like yeah. so much and I, I might have gotten written up for. Is it the mannequin one? Yeah. Please tell that. Yeah. So my, myself and another newer detective at the time, hot on the trail of a serial rapist. Like, I'm not making this up. This dude was a, he was a creep and he had raped, I think, two or three different women in the same vicinity, mm-hmm. same MO. We knew who the dude was because of just interviews, right? Mm-hmm. Good interviews led us to who this guy was, as well as I think I think we had gotten DNA back too. So like we had this dude locked in. So we we did a workup on him, figured out where he was gonna be, talked to some informants that are like, oh, he's gonna be blah, blah, blah. So lo and behold, he was supposed to be at Piercing Pagoda at the Regency Mall at like 3.30. And Piercing Pagoda, for those of you that aren't familiar <laughs> with our uh, our area, this is like a like, it's a, like a kiosk, kiosk yeah, in yeah. the mall. So picture if you if you have a mall where you live, uh, picture a kiosk um, where and like it sounds piercing pagoda. Yeah, People go, go there to get, get pierced. pierced, right? Get your okay. get your ears Just pierced. Setting or whatever. the scene a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. So like this. think of piercing kiosk. Well, across from that kiosk was a new store that hadn't been opened yet, and the whole storefront was all windows, obviously, and it was like uh, construction paper. Well, we cut little holes in the construction paper so we could peek through and when Pearson Pagoda Brape Boy showed up we were going to take him down yep. like hard like die hard style like running through the mall yep. flipping over you know tables of fruit and stuff like that it was going <laughs> to yeah, be awesome gonna be great. it was going to be epic uh, he never showed up yeah. and we got yeah. and I got really bored I have, if you can't tell from this podcast I have the attention span of like a gnat <laughs> like by all <laughs> intents and purposes by today's standards I'm pretty sure I have ADHD I'm all over the place right. yeah so anyway, uh, three hours into it, I'm like, come on, man. Like, this is boring. So my buddy keeps looking through the construction paper waiting for rapists to show up. There's probably, I don't, I don't even know. I'm going to estimate 50 to 100 mannequins inside this store. Mm-hmm. Well, we're the police. And when the police say, put your hands up, you got to put your hands up. So I positioned every mannequin, <laughs> not inappropriately, but all of them with their hands up. Yep. So when we left, every mannequin in the store had their hands up. I thought it was the funniest thing ever. We were dying. The, How did other people take it? The store manager didn't think it was very funny. <laughs> she thought it was very unprofessional yep. that we would uh, do such a thing. Mm-hmm. And she reported it to my boss. My boss laughed really hard. And then he's like, I still got to put a letter in your file, which means like, hey, we got we to gotta document We document that, it. Yeah, we sure. document yeah. That, that, this was, that this occurred. I, you know, I've documented people. For stuff while having a tear of laughter in my eye as well. There was, yeah. a, there was a guy that used to work here. He he did a thing called, uh, he called it the jackhammer. And uh, if you positioned the, the faucet just right in the bathroom, <laughs> it sounded like the pipes were going to explode. Uh, he was he was a good rep, but I, I had to document yeah. him for that. Yeah. So I Usually get, a couple like verbals like, hey, would you stop doing that? And then, it's like, dude, enough's <laughs> enough. Yeah, I get it. Um, so many, so many stories, probably most of them not suitable for a podcast. Well, I, I do appreciate, I wanted to add that in there cause we have hit, uh, depth and weight and also brevity. And so I wanted to paint that picture a little bit more with you taking risks, not just with your life, but also, uh, with, with humor, um, people around you and yourself. 
So as we close this thing out, you know, what do you want to leave people with, Chad? Don't take yourself too serious. You can do a lot of good. You can lead in, in phenomenal ways. But when we take ourselves too serious, I think that, that, that creeps into just selfishness. And um, when we can have fun and lead at the same time, that, that's what it's all about. Like Life is too short to just be a stickler and, and not enjoy what you're doing. So for crying out loud, have fun mm-hmm. and enjoy life. Um, I've seen through my career that, man, life is, life is here today and, and gone tomorrow. So enjoy it. If you're debating taking your family on that trip, you're debating proposing, you're debating buying the house, whatever you're doing, you have one opportunity here to do it well. Make it count. Make, make life count. That's what I want to leave you with. Make it count in, in, in any respect. It's good. Takeaway and action item. First of all, the takeaway. How you view people fuels how you gather information from them. Now, he repeated the three things in no particular order in the interview. I'm not going to say them again here. You can go back and listen to it if you forgot, like I did. How you view people fuels how you gather information from them. And that is sobering. For example, are people just a means to an end or do they have intrinsic worth? Now, I say I value people, but Does how I just questioned my wife or employee or friend reflect that? Dang. Action items. Treat others the way you would want to be treated and align your questions accordingly. Accountability, fact-finding, dignity, respect, and humor can live together as Chad has talked about. If you found value in what you heard, I encourage you, give us a written review in whatever platform you're using right now. It takes a minute or two, but we appreciate it and we read all of them. It helps us reach more folks like you as well. And then if you're so inclined, send this episode to someone who needs a little wind in their sails. We have dozens of other conversations that will aid in your growth as a leader. All you got to do is click subscribe in whatever platform you're using right now. and All the episodes will show up just like magic. I can't wait to be with you again soon, but until then, from all of us here at CCB Technology, thanks for listening.